there, I'm Shar, and this is Sharcasm Radio. If this is your first time hearing, I'll let you know that this is the third installment of my mental health project. Usually my episodes are a bit random. I talk about current events, politics, what pisses me off about the world, music, movies, everything. But I've decided to dedicate my podcast to mental health issues, as a lot of people have come forward and told me they wanted to share their stories. So I'm here to listen and to spread the information and the stories in hopes that we all find connection with each other and focus more on our similarities rather than our differences. This week, I talk to my friend Helen. I met Helen through Tumblr. Uh, That is actually a current theme. If you've listened to my podcasts in the last year, you know that a lot of people that I've met A lot of people that I love in this world I've met through Tumblr, so I have Tumblr to thank for a lot of the love in my life. Helen I met and we instantly bonded over music, movies, everything you usually bond with as a blog friend. Ever since I've known Helen, she has been just an incredible person. She is so caring, so sweet, and we actually also have bonded several times about our mental health issues, and uh, specifically depression and anxiety, which is what I suffer from too. Helen is actually a social worker. She's getting her master's degree. She's finishing up right now, as you'll listen very shortly. Uh, And she's been working as a social worker for years. And this intrigued me a lot because I don't really know much about the profession, but I know that their goal is to help people. That's about all I know about it. And when I posted about my mental health project, she told me that she would love to share a bit about her story as well. So here we go. So, first off, I want to thank you for being on my show, and I'm pretty sure, is this the first time you're on a podcast? It is. It's the first time I'm doing anything like this, so I'm excited but nervous. I wanted to ask you to just do a little quick intro, introduce yourself to the listeners. My name is Helen. I'm in L.A., and I'm a social worker, and I'm also currently pursuing my master's in social work. I'm almost two years down, and I just have a few more months to go, so I should be graduating in June. I feel like it's not soon enough. I think I've just been really burned out, but it's it's getting there, so I'm excited. God, how do you balance, like, work and school? Um... It's been really hard. This summer I had two jobs and I had to do school. Um, So I had to actually kind of step down from one of my jobs uh, because in a couple of weeks I start my new internship, my second one. So I'll be working internship and school. So I basically don't really have a social life. (laughs) I have to plan pretty much everything ahead of time. But uh, you know, I manage because I figure it's a sacrifice I chose to make to be able to do this program. So, yeah. Thank you for taking the time for this, son. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just... home. I don't have to be out. So, it's okay. <laughs> it's a completely different thing. Yeah. So, I asked you on my show. I don't know if you, I think you messaged me um, saying, because I had posted something about, like, if anyone wants to talk about mental health related things, you know, I would love to have you on the show, things like that. And you volunteered. So I know that in the years that we've had this beautiful online friendship, Mm -hmm. um, we've often talked about our depression slash anxiety. Um, Is that pretty much what you suffer from, I guess? 
Yeah, so generalized anxiety disorder, I've pretty much had most of my life. I was diagnosed maybe around 12. Um, same time around uh, depression as well. But I mean, I kind of always have known of I've had something. It's just now I know the name to it. Um, but yeah, I've pretty much, I used to think it's just me being shy. And then when it finally, when I finally got the diagnosis, it made more sense. Um, so I still didn't really tell a lot of people about it. Some friends of mine that I've known for years barely found out about it not too long ago. I was just not ashamed, but just afraid of what they would think people kind of treat me like I'm fragile when I when they find out, um, which is really annoying. But now I think because I'm a little bit more open about it, or a lot more open about it, and I understand myself a little bit more. Um, they they don't treat me as fragile, they do check in when they know um, I'm going through my bouts, I tend to isolate. So um, my best friend especially is really good about giving me the space but checking in just just to kind of remind me that you know someone is there but um, they do understand me a little bit better so it's it's nice to have that support but it's also been kind of like a double-edged sword because I've had people kind of attack me for having what I have um, even at my last job uh, I had a co-worker who we were friends or at least I thought we were and I don't know what flipped the switch and just she would make comments anytime I was by myself and I had co-work my close friends that weren't there in the office because they were out in meetings like she would walk by and she would say things like at least I don't have to take medication to function and yeah okay. and yes and this is another social worker so um you know I've been in really hostile work environments and that was somebody that I trusted to tell about my diagnoses and she used that against me and it really wreaked havoc on my mental health so I ended up leaving and I regret leaving in the sense because I never really stood up to her but I mm -hmm. also kind of understood um that it wasn't a healthy environment for me either so as much as I enjoyed the job it like it was either me or or that job so I've chose myself and I've been choosing myself a lot recently so yeah that's actually funny that you mentioned that you just thought you were a shy little girl because I totally was like always the shy one mm -hmm. in, like as a child too so how did you how do you get diagnosed with anxiety at 12 like what well so it was just you know I remember that it didn't get any better my shyness they thought I would kind of outgrow it but it just started manifesting in different types of behaviors where they finally my parents finally took me in and um you know I was assessed and yeah you know they recognized that I had anxiety just from very early on. And it's funny now doing what I do, um, I see it in so many children that I work with. And it's just so sad because I'm like, oh, they're not shy. I stopped putting them in these situations that they really can't deal with. Like they're screaming, crying. It kind of manifests in anger or something because they don't know how to vocalize that because they're so little. And for me, it was, it stems from, you know, the abuse that happened as at a very young age that I was so scared and guarded and I didn't have anyone to turn to and I was just constantly scared but it was more than just being scared it was this fear of not having any control you know and it still happens like that um 
just this weekend, I had my uh, fitness tracker on. I, I think you maybe saw the post I, I put on Instagram. Like my resting heart rate was at rate, excuse me, was at 115, and that was after it had come down from 123. And it just hits me out of nowhere sometimes. I'm not thinking about anything. It just happens like that. And so that happened a lot when I was younger, and they were just worried that something was happening. They didn't know what it was. Um, so they finally took me in and, um, you know, I was diagnosed and I kind of started seeing therapy therapists then, and it's been on and off. It hasn't been like a consistent thing. I wish it would be, but like, you know, I can, right now I can't afford it. So I definitely rely on, uh, coworkers that are, you know, <laughs> clinical social workers or just friends like that. But, mm-hmm. um, it's therapy has definitely been something that's been very helpful for me. Did you start therapy when you were that young? Not as intensely as I did as when I got older. Um, but yeah, I did start like kind of counseling. Um, but it, you know, it wasn't like I wasn't taken as consistently as probably I should have because I was, I would say I'm okay. And I think that was just my way of hiding it because it was like mental health is not something that a lot of families in our culture like to talk about. It's kind of like, oh, just get over it. And you know, so I was kind of trying to suck it up and get over it, thinking it was something that was going to go away, just like any other physical illness, but like a mental illness, obviously now, you know, I understand it's, it's not something that goes away like that. And, you know, you do need to be treating it and be mindful of it and be aware of it and not be ashamed of it. So it's, I haven't really been comfortable talking about it until, you know, much, much later in life. You know, I've had really dark periods and people have never known that and will never like most of them would never guess that about me because I've been so good about hiding it. I've only opened up to very few people about it. And when people like now I kind of talk about it a little bit more. And when people hear it, they're just like, would have never guessed that. I go, why would you like, you know, they say the happiest people are usually the ones that are really tormented. I'm just really good at hiding it. Now I'm just emotional. I cry about everything. So (laughs) I like to, I kind of can feel about coming on and I like to warn the people that I'm closest to just so that they know it's nothing you've done. It's, it's just, it's, I feel it. So I'm Mm -hmm. just letting you know, if I kind of disappear for a bit, that's what it is. It's, it's nothing you've done. You know, if you do something to me, I have no problem letting you know. Um, But when it's just, when I feel that coming on, I'd, I'd like to let you know. Um, but the, of course, there are times where it just strikes me out of nowhere, where I just physically cannot get out of bed. I think I'll force myself to get up and shower just to say that I did something that day. Um, the thing that gets me out of bed a lot is really work. When I don't have work, I feel completely useless and I'm, I have no reason to get up and it's so hard for me. So I don't know that I'll ever be able to retire. <laughs> you need that. I mean, you can always do like volunteer work stuff too. Yeah, maybe. But if I'm not being productive in some way, it's just, I, it's just this, the weight of the world that I feel on me. It's impossible. It, it's, it's really dark. Like there have been days, I think last summer, um, where I would wake up, um, when I would get sleep and I was disappointed that I woke up 
you know, and that's how dark it got. And people didn't know that until like I finally got out of that slump and was able to talk about it. But they were like, you were sad that you didn't wake up, that, that you woke up. And I, and I said, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to do anything about the fact that I woke up, but it's kind of a bummer that I did, you know, and it, it's ugly feeling that way. It's, it's heavy and yeah. gross. And then I feel ashamed that I feel that way because I shouldn't, but I mean, I just do. So it's been a while since I felt that, but the anxiety is just constant. And do you take medication? I used to. Um, I haven't for a really long time. Um, the combination of meds I was on made me feel so numb and so just robotic. Like I felt not alive in the sense where I work with people and I hear stories that are just saddest things and I couldn't feel anything like I wasn't even able to empathize for my clients and that's just not who I am I feel things very intensely and the fact that I couldn't do that for them it it just was not sitting right with me so um I weaned myself off and I mean if it ever got to the point where I feel like I need it I I don't have a problem asking for it but right now, it's it's been a little over a year, I think, since I ha- I've been on anything. I'd rather feel as as ugly as it might feel. Sometimes I'd rather feel than not. Yeah, I um the episode that I had with my friend David about depression. That's how he described his depression medication. That he just like felt disconnected and like robotic. Yeah, I I remember when I I was listening to that and I heard that I was like, yep exactly that like I can relate to that and it just doesn't feel right at all so um I made the decision to to wean myself off and yeah some days it's it's just you know I hear some things and it just shakes me to my core and I like sit with it and I have to process it and I cry about it but I'd rather that than feel nothing and then have this disconnect from my clients and then not be able to um to be able to build a relationship with them where they feel that they can trust me enough to let me help them. Yeah. And that's like one of the huge points of your career, like of your profession, you have to really make a connection with people. So definitely. I mean, this job isn't, I'm never going to be a millionaire working this in this field. And that's not why I went into it. Um, and some people it's, it's a paycheck to them. And I think that's why you see so many cases of just neglect because people weren't really doing what they needed to do. And for me, it's like I double, triple check everything to make sure that nothing slips through the cracks, at least on my end, and that my clients have what they need and that I've done everything that I can um, to be able to support them. So, you know, it's just... You know, I mean, I think that goes for any field, really. But for me in this field, being working with such a vulnerable population, you know, I don't ever want to be responsible for somebody, you know, being in more trouble than than they started. Yeah, for sure. What is the biggest struggle for you on a daily basis? Kind of letting go of control. I 
I feel like every day is so chaotic because of, you know, my job and just life in general. I feel like I need to control everything. And I think that is just the, where the anxiety kicks in. And I need to learn that I can't control everything. I can't control people's reactions to me or anything like that. I just have to be able to to deal with things as they come. And I'm not spontaneous. I need to plan everything in advance. And that's really difficult because sometimes, you know, we get a crisis um, happen and I have to be able to deal with it on in that moment. And that's really hard for me. Um, so kind of letting go of that control is, is my struggle and just recognizing like something is going to be too hard for me. I need to learn how to ask for help a little bit more often. Um, sometimes I just take on everything because I don't want to disappoint anyone. And then I end up just spreading myself too thin and it's not pretty when that happens. <laughs> so do you think that social media impacts anxiety at all? Oh my God. Yes, for sure. When I see people say that they're going to take a break from social media, I'm just like, good for you. I should do that. But I just, <laughs> have no ability to do that um it's like <laughs> I have fear of missing out on something but then I see something that ends up triggering me in some way or, or you know reminding me of something that is unpleasant and I should step away and I just can't it, it makes it worse mm -hmm. and just a flood of information is just so much and so fast and yet I'm still there <laughs> it's not something I'm able to step back from. I mean, it's an addiction for sure. Like when the Kavanaugh oh, thing yeah, yeah. happened, okay. um, uh. when it was like a month and a half ago or so, I had to take that weekend off. Like, and the only reason I did it or I could was I, I literally deleted the apps off of my phone and I just, it was crazy how my, like how my hands would uncontrollably go, like click to the exact little window I had those apps in before and like try to click uh -huh. into it when there was nothing there anymore, like all weekend. And it actually felt really yeah. good afterward, but I'm, you know, I'm back in the, in the cycle again. It is really hard to stop. Yeah. So I want to get into your career because honestly, I don't, I think you're the like only social worker I know. So I want to know a little bit more. How did you, like, what inspired you to pursue a career in social work? Um, so social work kind of fell into my lap. I, since I was a child, always thought I was going to be a pediatrician. I, that was my plan from just the age of five. And, you know, I applied to college because I was going to be a biology major and then go to med school. And my first year of college, it just... I hated it. Um, so I took some time off and then I went back and just got general ed out of the way and was kind of aimlessly going to school. Um, and then I found like liberal studies as my major. And when I transferred to, to the other college, um, I met this one professor who was just all about social justice and just, she just kind of ignited that for me. Um, and I really loved it. And then I started working um, as a preschool teacher. And there I met this uh, little boy who was on the spectrum. And I just felt, you know, I worked well with him, but I felt like I could do more. And so I switched careers from teacher to uh, like a, my title was developmental interventionist. 
So I was doing social work at kind of a micro level. So there's three levels, micro, meso, and macro. Micro is more individual and families. Um, so I started working at this agency where all of my families um, and clients were, you know, children on the spectrum and things like that. And I just really grew to love it. And then I was interacting more with case managers, uh, trying to get these services approved for these families. And I switched over to that side to, to learn that aspect of, of social work. Um, so it's more like a community or a school-based um, type of social work. So that would be more macro level, uh, like a little bit bigger, not so one-on-one. -on -one. And I started seeing like what the need was for like case managers and resources, like just how scarce they truly are. And, um, you know, it just, it kind of just developed from one job to the other. It's just, I started getting more involved and I started seeing like, okay, this is how I can work individually with families. And this is how I can work as a case manager and obtaining resources for families. Like what else can I do? And, I always knew I wanted to go back to school and get my master's and it took me a really long time to to convince myself that I would even get into school and be good at what what this field really requires you know so um now it's like I've written to congress I've done I've I've been involved at every level of social work and it just kind of happened accidentally but it was something that I always knew I wanted to be in a field where I could help um, but I've also, being in this program, I've learned what it really means to help. For me, before, helping is doing everything for everyone. And I've learned that that's really not a way to be helpful. It's more empowering the clients to do for themselves. Because if I do everything for them, they're never going to learn to advocate for themselves, speak up for themselves, do anything like that. And if I can give them the skills to help themselves and make those changes when they're ready, that's more, more of what we do as a social work, as social workers, essentially. Um, you know, we make sure we follow our code of ethics, um, making sure that we're being competent um, in our field and making sure we're culturally competent as well, you know, um, setting aside our own values, even if we meet a client that we might disagree with. Um, you know, our values aren't always going to align with the people that we work with, but that doesn't mean you sh you can't work with them. It's yeah. it's just really empowering and educating people to really get out there and change their circumstances for the better. Um, right now, I'm working at an agency that works with um, the homeless population, and I did my first internship there. And I just genuinely thought I never wanted to work with that population. I wasn't interested in it. I, I always wanted to work with families and children specifically, but um, I still got the opportunity to work with families here, but in a different capacity, and it was probably, it is the most heartbreaking, like, population I've worked with so far, and I'm still there, just not as a case manager now. I actually got hired on over the summer um, as a client service coordinator, so I still get to interact with some of the clients in, in a different way, but... Um, I, I love what I do. I love being able to kind of talk to people on the daily and find resources and find the help that they need and kind of guide them to to something that will get them off the street or, you know, get them out of a domestic violence situation. Even if I have to be on the phone with them for 45 minutes trying to find the right placement for them or something, at least, like, I can give them that time and, and 
and effort so that they're not feeling so completely alone. You know, I had a client tell me, like, I just needed someone to give me a chance. I knew that I could do it. I just needed someone to to hear me out and give me that chance so that I could get off the street, you know. And a big thing about this field is you just have to be able to listen and and really listen to them and hear what their needs are instead of what you think you want to do for them. So, yeah. At the end of the day, what we've learned in, in or what I've learned in, in my grad program is, you know, the client is the expert. You know, and being on the other end of having having been the client for someone, um, you know, I don't want someone to tell me what to do. I just need you to hear me out and maybe give me skills to help me cope with things. And I think that that's a lot of what I do um, for for these families. Sometimes I'm just like, Ugh, why are you still making these choices? <laughs> like, why, why, you know, you're going to end up in the same situation you found yourself in. But it's just like, let's approach it in a different way. Let me hear you because I think what I want for you is different for what you want for yourself. Maybe there's a happy medium, but I really have to listen to them and see what I can do to get them to maybe where I want them to be later on. You know, it might not happen while while I'm the one that's working with them, but it will happen eventually, I feel. It's just about really educating people. Um, Someone at work said... uh, are some of these families just don't know how to be homeless. And that really struck a chord with me because how do you know how to be homeless if you've never been, you know, in that situation? So that's what's just like, what do you mean you haven't done this? What do you mean you haven't called these people? But they don't know that, you know, and that's where you get to step in and really educate them on that. Now, I think if I were to find myself in that situation, I would know kind of what to do because I provide this information, but would my mental health allow me to take the necessary steps? And that's a lot of what we see. A lot of these people have had other traumas aside from experiencing homelessness. So it's, you're addressing so many issues, not just the homelessness, you know? And, and that's what gets in the way of, of these families being successful a lot of the time or the people that call in, you know? So it's really just always remembering to empower them and just in any any client I work with that's that's the goal is to empower them to make sure that they know that they have the skills we just have to find a way to help them use them so I had no idea what what is like your day-to-day like I mean I guess it depends on your like what position you currently have so I the job I have now well I have two currently but I'm stepping down from one um this week is my last week with this particular client that I've been working with. But um, so at my agency job, uh, again, I'm a client service coordinator. So I do um, kind of field a lot of the phone calls of people calling in, seeking um, information about our program and things like that. So I can kind of help them. I kind of vet the phone call and see like where they're at and see if they would be a good fit for the program because uh, sometimes they don't meet the criteria or us as a program do not have enough supports for what the family is actually looking for. Um, I kind of let them know about the referral process. I, I guide them to the numbers that they need to call in order to be able to be referred to us. We don't take applicants indirectly. Um, so sometimes I get yelled at and I'm told I'm useless because I'm not, they feel like I'm not giving them the the answers that they want, you know, and I let them yell at me because sometimes they just need to do that and feel better about themselves. And that's fine. 
you know, I'm not in their situation. I don't take it personally. Uh, mm-hmm. One day I had a, she was a former, I guess she was still a social worker, but she was fleeing a domestic violence situation, she and her sons. And now she found herself in a situation where she was homeless and yeah, she yelled at me and said I wasn't doing my job properly. And I could just hear it in her voice that she was frustrated. I wasn't taking it personally, but a little part of me did get upset. I was hurt because I was genuinely trying to help her. Um, she hung up after 45 minutes and I still went ahead and researched some things for her because I was planning on calling her back. And mm-hmm. about an hour later, she called me and apologized and said I was only trying to do my job. And, you know, I, I told her it wasn't necessary for her to apologize. Like, I, I can't say I get it or I understand because, again, I'm not in her situation. But as soon as she apologized and, and we spoke for a little bit, I was able to provide her with the information for another program in her area that did more or less what we do as an agency. And mm-hmm. I told her that I had already spoken to somebody to find out what the referral process was and who she needed to talk to specifically. And it's like, I can still do my job, you know, and, and help you. But if you need to vent and call me every name in the book, by all means, go ahead. But I'm still going to give you this information because I don't want her and her sons to be out on the street. So, you know, sometimes it's a lot more relaxed. Like we don't get as many calls and and I'm able to do a lot of um, searching for resources for clients um, just to have ready for any situation. Today, I uh, was able to speak to somebody who does our uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas like donations. Um, so we, we organized uh, a food drop off for next week where, um, you know, we're going to be able to get a lot of food donations to be able to take to the families in our program, which I'm really excited about because, you know, a lot of them, even though we've been able to get them off the street, still don't have enough money to eat. So, um, it's something that I know that we're still doing things to help them, even though we've gotten them off the street, like they're still not there yet as as stably housed or or stably living as we would want them to be so things like that just seeing how the community will reach out and and donate um items and toys for the family so that they can have some semblance of i don't want to say normalcy but really normalcy like i i know what is normal but like some sense of like hey we we can have this too you know like they should they should be able to have something to open on christmas as well so how do you find these clients? Do they sign up for a program and then you get assigned like each client or how is the process with that? For this program, we get a referral. So we work with United Way and there's like a coordinated entry system that they have to call and do their their um, assessment over the phone. And then um, once the assessments are complete, if if they feel that our program would meet the needs of the family, then we go ahead and get those referrals. And that's when we're able to reach out to them and, you know, schedule intakes and then take it from there. You know, some intakes are easier than others. Um, You know, I sat in with the family that one of their kiddos, for whatever reason, I don't know what it was about him. Just, I can't even explain it, but something about him just made me so sad even though their whole situation was so sad, like when they left, I just, I needed to cry for like 10 minutes. And I was just so concerned about him because he was taking on a role that as a 13 year old, like he wasn't living life as a 13 year old. He was way too grown up because he had to be. So we see a lot of that. And, you know, now it's, 
I heard, you know, he, that now that they've moved in, like he's happy, he's loving school. And it's just now he's getting to be a kid. So, um, you know, we, we get referrals from, from that organization. And that's when we're able to reach out to the families as much as I would want to pick everyone up and, and get them housed. Like, it's just not possible because we have certain criteria that needs to be met in order for, for us to be able to work with the family in, in the first place. And do they, like, often have cell phones you can call them at, or do you have to go to where they're at? A lot of them have, um, like, the government phones that are free. So they do have a cell phone, and and they are able to call in. Um, Some of them just kind of recently got evicted, so they, they were living in a home and just by some circumstance lost their their housing so they were living in in an apartment or a house and had tvs and had phones and everything and they just kind of lost it for one reason or another so a lot of them do have phones or they'll go to some place like a hospital or something um that has a phone that they can use or or some people are already have a case manager at a different department, you know, a different agency that they're working with, and, and they'll have them um, call in or things like that. But yeah, a lot of them do have phones, but they're usually those free phones that, that they can sign up for. Interesting. I didn't even know that that existed. I mean, I was surprised too, because when I first started, I go, how do they call? <laughs> like, I thought yeah. that was a stupid question too, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're very resourceful. Like, the ones that know are very resourceful. Yeah, I mean, I guess if they know what tools they have, like you said, not everyone knows how to be homeless. <laughs> what kind of qualifications do you need to get the job you have, like, right now, I guess? Um, so for my current position, I believe you can um, have, like, a bachelor's degree. Um, but I think, you know, they're gearing more towards social work degrees um, because it other fields don't train the same way as, as social work degrees do, mm-hmm. um, especially dealing with like such sensitive information. You know, there's um, there's ways of, of handling those files and just that information in general, you know. Um, and since a lot of fields don't necessarily train the same way, uh, sometimes there's issues, ethical issues that arise with that. So a lot of it is, um, you know, a bachelor's degree, definitely. Um, you know, I'm working on my master's, so I don't know once I have my master's that, I, I mean, I would love to keep this job, but I know that I want to be able to use my, my master's for, to be able to eventually get my uh, licensing in clinical social work. So I would have to change positions and do more clinical things. Um, but yeah, I mean, a bachelor's degree definitely helps. Master's degree in in social work is is also beneficial. But because you know, master's degrees don't really get paid very well in in nonprofits. A lot of people don't go that route usually. So in our agency, it is a lot of uh, bachelor's degrees currently. So what currently. kind of what kind of job are you hoping to get when you finish your master's? Um. <laughs> I think ideally I would like to have my own practice later on down the line so that I can maybe set my own hours and maybe not have to work as much, but still be able to do the one-on-one kind of therapy that I, um, that I do um, with this one client on Thursdays and Fridays. I like the direct practice um, work 
that is that has been my favorite of of all like i like the case management stuff but i miss the interaction with the clients and seeing that slight progress case management is a little bit more removed um mm -hmm. for my liking um so I, ideally the goal would be to maybe become a well no i am going to go for my licensure but um you know eventually maybe have my own practice that i can i can not have to have so many clients and and still be able to do the the therapy um, type work that I like doing. Um, my new internship, I'll be doing a lot of assessing and diagnosing, which is really new for me. I've never diagnosed anyone. Um, I've only ever worked with clients that have already been diagnosed, so I'm really looking forward to that. You're going to be able to diagnose them with, like, mental health stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm nervous, but I'm, it, I feel I feel like I'm ready for that. Yeah, you've had a lot of experience and now education, so. So would you be the one diagnosing them and then sending them off to, like, a psychiatrist, or are you counseling mm -hmm. them? So the cool thing about this new internship is I will be assessing, diagnosing, impl uh, creating the treatment plan, and implementing it. I will be doing start to finish with them. Wow. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. And it's the population that I want to work with. It's children. Um, I was told I think it would be ages 7 to 17. So I'm used to working with younger children. But, uh, you know, it's a new challenge. So I'm looking forward to it. That's so cool. I had yeah. no idea. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Okay, so I also wanted to ask you if you want to share any interesting stories. I remember you had, well, you did ask me a question, like, about a client that might have helped me, I think, without realizing it, and yeah. I immediately, when I saw that, I, I thought of this one client when I was um, a case manager for this other nonprofit a few years back. Um, he was bed-bound. He was blind. You know, um, he had been that way his whole life, and when I met him, he was just the most positive person and complained about nothing. And I walked in, we had the best meeting, you know, um, his meetings were annual because he had, he lived with family, but he had all these goals for himself. And, you know, it's easy to walk in and see him and people tend to feel sorry for him, but he just had this like personality that, he was such a go-getter. He was like, when I get over this sickness, I really want um, to see if maybe you can help me find a job. Like I can do phone calls. I can, you know, he had a goal, he had plans and we started working on that. And unfortunately, you know, he did get so sick that he, he did pass, but he really changed my um, perspective on things because I used to be so, I mean, I still tend to be a little negative but after meeting with him and just kind of being his case manager for almost two years, my my thoughts and just kind of views about things kind of changed. I used to complain about everything and just everything used to annoy me. And now it's like, if it's not directly affecting me, why am I trying to bring everybody else down about it? You know, he just really changed my outlook. And I don't think he realized that um, he was just the sweetest person I ever encountered and you know I was really sad when he passed he passed like two days before his birthday um I remember and just helping the family kind of process that was really challenging but he in the short time that I knew him just 
changed my outlook on so many things. And like, I don't think he ever even realized that. So, you know, I've been lucky to have a few clients like that, but he really stood out to me. But, you know, I think he, you know, he had plans. He thought he was, he was just like um, medically fragile just Mm -hmm. from birth anyway. But he, he, that wasn't going to stop him. You know, he was going to work and (laughs) we did make a few calls and try to get him into some programs and things like that. But, you know, unfortunately his, it was his time. Um, But he was just the most positive and his family said the same thing like to go like we can't complain about anything when he's just so happy about everything you know he's never been negative ever once in his life and I and I'm over here like yes a lot of it has to do with my diagnosis but a lot of it is just being stupid and bitter (laughs) And, and it didn't have to be that way because I have so many advantages um even when it doesn't feel like it, you know, it was a definite, uh, like a necessary shift change. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, I'm still kind of like, ugh, a lot of the time. But when I do feel like I'm going to complain about something stupid, I think about him. And, and I go, really, do, do I even have like anything to complain about? That's so nice. And at the time, I had 75 clients, and he was just the, the most magnetic person. Is 75, like, a lot over the average, kind of? Is that, like, too much? For that caseload, I mean, that's why I feel like a lot of people think social workers are burned out. Um, But for me, I was very lucky in the sense that my caseload, although it was 75, it wasn't um, hectic. You know, they were pretty stable. I was lucky. I had very good families to work with. And unfortunately, there's other caseworkers that have maybe less, but their caseloads are, are much more heavy as far as the things that they have to deal with. You know, it's easy to get burned out. It definitely mm-hmm. is easy to get burned out. Um, so, you know, we're always being told about self-care and I'm always getting scolded by my school about not making time for myself, but sometimes life doesn't really allow for that. Um, you know, earlier this year, my mom had gotten really sick and, um, her medication kind of induced this, I don't know, like depression in her where two days before my birthday, she was going to go walk out in front of traffic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, right. there's no history of that on her end, you know, and that was just something new that I had seen. And, you know, it ended up being a medication thing. And once we fixed that, it's been better. Um, but you know, it's like life doesn't really allow for, for self-care. So when you're the caregiver and you're naturally someone that is the nurturing one, um, it's hard to take those breaks, but it is necessary. And I understand why we're always being told that. Um, but as long as I can kind of recognize in myself, like, okay, it's a little too much for me right now. And even if staying in bed is what I need to do all day, then that's what I'm going to do. And that's my idea of self-care. It's not as, as fun as other people's self-care, but I mean, it does the trick so I can reset and function the next day. No, yeah, for sure. Especially with 75 cases at a time, like that just seems insane. So what ways do you practice self-care? I mean, I know it's different for everyone, but what are like your happy things? Music, for sure. Um, I try to squeeze in as many shows as I can. Um, You know, I just, so long as I have a day where I don't have to think uh, too hard, 
um, just like binge watch something on Netflix. I cry a lot sometimes. Like I just need that release. So I'll throw something sad on and on my drive home, I'm just crying. And then I just feel so much better. It sounds ridiculous, but it just is the best for me. The best release. Um, just spending time with the people that genuinely care about you is also super helpful. Like people that have seen me at my lowest and still stick around. Those are the ones I, I tend to surround myself with um, when I can make time for it. And uh, luckily, again, I have people that are so understanding about the time, the fact that I don't have too much free time. Mm -hmm. um, but when I do, like they'll they'll try and just take advantage of it. And it's just, I just need a lot of time to recharge and reset. Set. So I do spend a lot of time alone, but it's not because I don't want to be around other people. It's just that's what helps me. Um, I'm hoping that when school's done, I'll I'll be a little bit more social, but we'll see. I'm kind of liking this isolation right now. <laughs> I think it's good for like self-discovery too. Yeah, I mean, knowing that I can be alone and just entertain myself and find something to read or find new music something you know I don't want to always have to feel that somebody has to be around because that's not always going to be the case but you yeah. know I don't want to separate myself too much toward like I already get called a hermit I don't really actually want to become one <laughs> so well what do you do for self-care I've been really 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 enjoying my runs I moved into a place about two months ago that's really close to the water like two blocks away so I've even if I'm not running like I've really started to enjoy just walking and just seeing the ocean like as long as I see the ocean at some point during the day like I have a really good day and it's weird because the ocean really scares me like I would say I'm way more scared of like going underwater than like something crazy above water or whatever like mm -hmm. the ocean just really like the vastness of it really overwhelms yes. me I'm trying to like go toward what scares me so now I'm like maybe I'll learn to surf because like it's like a big thing here to surf obviously I'm trying to embrace the ocean and I actually really find peace from it now like just looking at the waves just gives me this crazy peace like so I do that often I've been doing a lot of reading and more writing I used to write a lot and so one of the signs that I'm like not depressed and like doing okay mental health wise is like, I'll be really good about my skincare routine. Self-care for me is a lot of like washing my face during like in the morning and at night and going through my whole thing with like my exfoliating, like it's like a whole thing that I love doing. And when I'm depressed, I'm like, I don't even wash my face in the morning, like nothing. I'll brush my teeth, but that's about it. And I'll shower probably, yeah. but I don't do any of that. So those are like my happy things that are signs that I'm like, okay. And just also being organized just about my room. Like usually if I'm depressed, you'll notice that I have all my clothes on one side of my bed and it just like sits yep. there for the whole week. Yep. But yeah, those are like my top things. I also like, I guess like to cook, like, you know, all those like little therapeutic things. But one thing that my therapist has been helping me on is he makes, he gives me homework and he'll be like, okay, write a list of blah, 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 whatever. One of my lists was like lists of things that you love or love doing. And he wanted me to be very, very detailed about it. Like not just say, I like the beach. I like this just, and be like, 
I like getting ice cream on Sundays from this place and then going to the movies and then like things that I could, I guess, look at the paper and be like, okay, I'm having a shitty day. I need to do one of these things. Yeah, that's definitely a way to like reframe things for you because I think like when we're feeling really bad, we tend to forget them and you have something to actually look at. It's like, oh, wait, you know, I do have things I enjoy. Yeah, when you're depressed, it's like for a while, I mean, I love music and nothing. Like, I didn't even want to listen to it. It's just when it, the bouts start to hit, um, I try to go and squeeze in a hike just by myself, even though everyone's always like, don't go by yourself. Because I, <laughs> I only have free time in the evening. And I'm like, look, I'm either going to fall down the side of the mountain or someone's going to kidnap me because I listen to too much true crime stuff. Um you know that's always in the back of my mind but it's like if I feel it and I can take myself out and go on a hike and just kind of move I I feel good but sometimes that that's too much for me and I just want to be just in bed Mm -hmm. um yeah but for a while I couldn't even listen to music it just wasn't enjoyable for me like nothing about it it was just noise and that's when I knew I was really bad but I like that uh making a list of And like a detailed one, not just, you know, I like that. I might try that. All right. So let's wrap it up because it's been like an hour and a half. Thank you for taking the time to come onto the show and sharing everything. I learned so much. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if I could just say like one more thing, just because, you know, your struggle doesn't look like someone else's as far as mental health. It doesn't, I feel like people are always trying to minimize it and, you know, no one's struggle looks the same. So just kind of remember that, you know, just because maybe, you know, you have depression and somebody else has something else and it doesn't look like yours. Just, just be kind. It's, it's, everything is so ugly now. Just don't make it worse for anybody. It's not necessary. Don't minimize it. Yeah, I agree. Everyone has their own struggle. And that's what I try to think too, is like, don't be, you know, like, smile at people. Like, you never know what can make a difference in someone's day. And Yeah, just acknowledging people. Exactly. I mean, that, yeah, that sounds so, like, basic, but there's probably people that don't even do that. So, good point. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah. for having me on. It's fun. It's Thank fun. you so much. I will talk to you later. Have a good sounds night. Sounds good. You too. Bye. Bye. Guys, how sweet and awesome is Helen? I swear, I'm just so impressed by how passionate she is, how much of an impact she really makes despite things that she goes through in her own head and and struggles that she deals with every day. She's pursuing a career in just helping other people, and that's just so commendable. One of the quotes that she mentioned during the episode was, in fewer words, the following quote by Robin Williams. I think the saddest people always try their hardest to make people happy because they know what it is to feel absolutely worthless and they don't want anyone else to feel like that. And I think Helen is a great example of that because of her profession and what she does every day just to make sure people are okay. And that is beautiful. So thank you again for being on the show. And I want to go over one of the things that I mentioned because we talked about self-care and she shared with me what she does and how she practices self-care. And I mentioned that my therapist had me make a list of 60 things that I love to do. Maybe it's something that can help you guys because just like we mentioned in the episode, a lot of the times when we're down in the dumps and we're in these depressive phases or days of our lives, we completely forget and lose touch with what really makes us happy. 
And even if we do remember, it just, it's, I don't know, it's this feeling of being unable to get up and do it. But making a list of the things that you like to do, you know, having a physical example and reminder could be really helpful for someone. So I just want to share a few of the things that are on my list. So the smell of fresh cut grass. <laughs> I know that sounds so cliche, but I really love it. Watching bloopers of my favorite shows. Listening to classical music while reading in a cafe. The smell of an old book. The smell of crayons and freshly sharpened pencils. Being in the sun at the beach and just smelling the ocean water. Wine and cheese nights with my girlfriends. My skincare routine, which is one thing I mentioned during the episode. Going to the movies by myself. Working on my podcast. Listening to music and dancing alone. Those are just a few of the things that make me happy and of course it's not because I think you should copy it but I think the idea of putting a list together of the things that you really love and being as detailed as possible would be really helpful if you ever go through a depressive day or week or any sort of period. It's good to remind ourselves every now and then what makes us really happy. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I can't wait to keep having these conversations because I think it's really important to share our stories and to listen to other people's stories. I think a lot of people that feel certain things keep it inside and you know we're taught to be strong and you know not overshare or not feel certain things and that's a really toxic mindset I think. I think it's best to get it all out, share with people that you're comfortable sharing with and of course there's going to be people who don't want to listen to you and who maybe even pretend to listen to you but are sitting on their phone the whole time. So it's important to choose wisely who you share things with, of course. But that's why I like having people on the podcast because whoever's listening is making a choice to hear these stories and whoever is on and whoever I'm talking to is choosing to share their story and it's it's just so wonderful. Don't forget to subscribe and rate me on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can also find me on YouTube and on Instagram as Sharkasm and on Facebook as Sharkasm Radio. Bye!